Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 52. This week, we take a look at our board gaming predictions for 2015. We'll also shout it from the tabletop, manage our acquisition disorders with Spyfall, and roll for the galaxy, and talk about what's hitting our table with Game of Thrones, 2nd Edition Board Game, Ka-Ching, Time's Up, Tile, Recall, and Lost Cities. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Drew. Welcome to the podcast. Unfortunately, Anthony and Daniel are not here with us this week. But we have some outstanding news for everyone out there. Anthony, and I guess more importantly, his wife Margaret, <laughs> gave birth to a beautiful girl, Abigail, nine pounds, three ounces. Pink peg in the family car. There you go. Nice. <laughs> and as far as Daniel's concerned, he's traveling time and space, trying out to be the next Time Lord. So at some point, we will see him back on the podcast. But, you know, from Daniel and from Anthony, they all wish you all a happy new year. This week we got Drew back. Hey, I was wandering around the country myself. Got to see a lot of the American Midwest. Had the opportunity to uh, meet up with some gamers, but didn't play any games out there. It's understandable. You were working with Santa and you had to drop off all those Euro games <laughs> for all the, the heavy Euro game boys and girls out there. So, you know, I just, it's understandable. No, it made, made me want to play some Wild West games. Yeah. <laughs> They're among some of my favorite. But anyway, um, so a lot of rocks, basically. Rocks and uh, holes in the ground and uh, a lot of fun, actually. All right. (laughs) There's a scale to it. You you go see Carlsbad Caverns and Grand Canyon. Totally different scale than what you're used to here back east in in New York City. Yes. Forget about it, Drew. Don't worry about it. It's all right. I mean, here, a canyon (laughs) is, you know, you're walking around Manhattan, around Wall Street, and you got skyscrapers on the other side of you. That's a canyon. That's true. Well, everyone, welcome to the podcast. We have a special episode for you this week. We are going to talk about our predictions from the year 2015. We've got some hot tips for you. You can put some money down on and count on it. So we're going to give you some ideas of what we expect to happen in the board gaming industry in 2015. And then hopefully at the end of 2015, we'll come back to these and you'll have the opportunity to make fun of us. Yes, Chris and I are having a competition to see which one will look more foolish by the end of the year. Yes! (laughs) Let's go team! (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. So with that said... Shout it from the tabletops! Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. All right. So with that said, shout it from the tabletop, Drew. Hey, we got news. Boy, do we have news. It's been a month, guys, since I've been here. So um, I'm actually going to cut it all down to the basics because end of year, there's always more news than you can digest. Just a couple quick things. Uh, Something I noticed, uh, Google put word out that uh, they are studying e-commerce. They're looking into um, creating their own online presence because they want to compete with Amazon. They want to compete with everybody. They want to compete with Microsoft and Apple and Amazon. They want to be everything. It just made me wonder, you saw the effect that Amazon has had on Barnes & Noble and most importantly on the friendly local game stores. 
in the prices. What will Google competing with Amazon do to struggling stores that are already trying to keep their head above water? I mean, on the good side, there'll be a broader distribution of games to more people. I mean, as much as we love Cool Stuff Inc. and Miniature Market and so many of the other online stores most average kind of casual players don't go to those stores. So they typically do go to an Amazon. So if Google kind of jumps into this, board games will get out to more people. It should lower prices if there's going to be competition. There should, right? Um, But I don't know what it'll do to the specialty stores online or the local stores. I mean, the local stores have always had problems with the online stores because the prices, they just just can't match them. So in order for them to stay you know, relevant in the industry, they're going to have to offer more tournaments, more special events, more, you know, venue space for gamers and meetups because you can't do it any other way anymore. Well, here's the thing. Companies like Amazon can afford to run a deficit for a long time. They can be in red ink for years and people will still invest in them for the future. Um, Google, same thing. They've taken lots of chances, thrown away a lot of money trying things out. They're not afraid to lose money. Brick-and-mortar stores can't do that. They have to make enough money every month to get by. And at the same time, they have a unique opportunity because, you know, this past Christmas I was at the mall, and you see this probably over the last 5, 10 years, and right now it's you can, you can see it's so clear. When you go to a mall, the only thing that you could probably buy anymore is clothes. All those kind of knick-knack stores and item stores are just disappearing every day. It seems like products that you have to try out. Otherwise, everything is always cheaper online, even clothes. But the fact that I need to try it on makes it you know, an opportunity for the brick-and-mortar stores to do good. So the same thing with board games. If the brick-and-mortar has a library and lets you try out some games, you're more likely to just buy it right there and then. So they really need to push for that. They do. That, uh, open yeah. up some of those boxes and give people a chance to... Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a lot, you know, over the years. And it's just, when you look at a Euro game, the artwork tends to be a little bit bland sometimes. And, you know, the rule book seems immense. And there's just a lot of bits and pieces. If you have someone sitting down there and playing with you, it changes the experience. You get engaged. You want to buy it right there and then. All right. The next bit of news I wanted to share with you. Cards Against Humanity always has an online, I mean, always has a big presence at the end of the year, especially around Black Friday. We know that quite the reputation they've been doing a couple things this year that's caught attention they're the they're the company that you love to hate but i also think they're they're the ones you hate to love because their game can can be so so mean spirited and so despicable in some people's eyes and yet the people behind it and the marketing behind it and and what they do with their profits behind the scenes presents quite a whole quite a different picture they're always willing to to support charities with their funds. They're always coming up with something from a marketing angle, but yet it has a good point behind it. You know, they know the game can't stand on its own. Sure. So they have to come up with some new marketing angles to keep it in front of people, maybe to try and get new uh, new buyers. They're brilliant. I, I give them so much credit to take, basically, it's, I mean, not even basically, it's apples to apples, but, you know, the R-rated version and their marketing campaigns, their business model, everything that they do seems like it should fail and should fail tremendously and somehow succeeds. So how many people do you know bought their, I'm going to call it a cow patty, 
one. You can say poop, but I won't use some of the other words that they've called it. Do you know if anybody's done that? I don't, and I hope never to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real deal. I mean, okay, cow patties, that, that's an actual commodity in the Midwest. And that's what they were that. selling with this most the, recent cow campaign. Cow patties, cow pies. Okay. Um, in the Midwest, they have contests. In, like in Iowa, he lived in Iowa for a number of years. They had pie tossing contests. You'd take these dried cow patties and you'd throw them as far as you can and the, you know, name the winners. It's, it's a real thing. It's a commodity in some parts of the country. We really need to get board games <laughs> to these people and get them quickly. I think we need to start doing a, uh, you know, a board gaming charity just to send them something to do. It's brilliant. But uh, they also went ahead, uh, from what I read on Boing Boing, the website... Uh, the company bought an island that they renamed Hawaii Two, <laughs> okay. and we're we're selling little bits of it uh, to to people wanting to donate money. Again, it's just a, a PR thing, but it has a good point. They're giving money to charity. That's through great. All of this. Um, so yeah, you hate to love them and you love to hate them <laughs> for the game, but brilliant people behind it. It's, it's just one more example of how. From a marketing point of view, from a PR point of view, board games and companies are having a a huge positive impact on culture today. It's coming up everywhere. We've newspapers such as the New York Times, the the Boston Globe, uh, monthly magazines like Esquire, the Washingtonian in Washington, D.C. The Washingtonian in their after hours section in uh, just the most recent issue, they had an article about board games. Where to play board games in Washington, D.C., what kind of board games for different different types of people, whether you're new to it or even what was interesting is board games that Washington people play. In other words, politically themed games like Twilight Struggle, for example. So the the articles that we're seeing nowadays aren't basic articles repeating the whole uh, Monopoly and Twister and Scrabble, but they're really getting into the new games that are coming up there. They're becoming part of the conversation. In fact, Popular Mechanics, that do-it-yourselfers Bible, over the past year, they had a couple interesting articles about board games, but they did an end-of-year best new board games of the year. Popular Mechanics is all about uh, hands-on design and engineering. That's an example of how board game design has become a part of life. That's a big accolade for board gamers and for the industry that such... A prestigious publication would actually recognize them as part of their industry. You know, design mechanics. Yeah, just that's that's amazing. I mean, we're just we're seeing a you know a revolution going on here, and it's just it's a good time to be a gamer. It goes back to um, something I've said before that game designers originally used to be called game inventors, mm. and I. Th- I really think I want to push to bring that phrase back. They're game okay. inventors, and that's what Popular Mechanics recognizes, because they're all about inventing things. Board game designers are really inventors, creating new games. Hey, true. Well, Cards Against Humanity, Cow Patty, was that invented? <laughs> <laughs> that came out of some dark uh, <laughs> place in someone's soul. That's where that. Came all right, from. we'll move on. We'll move on. We won't go back there. <laughs> Board Game have also read recent articles in December. The Guardian, again, has become the champion. The Guardian of London has uh-huh. become the champion of the board game hobby. I think uh, all hobbyists should subscribe to The Guardian. <laughs> the Guardian. Yeah. You got it. They, uh, they had a huge week-long series in uh, November to celebrate the opening of London's first board game cafe. And now in the middle of December, they came out with another three or four article um, series on board games. 
they they did a piece about playing board games in space. Wow. And how astronauts can play Scrabble <laughs> with lots of Velcro. They even used an interesting phrase uh, in one of their articles, no more board games. B-O-R-E-D. Okay. <laughs> so, the recognition is there is that we're entering a new phase. All the old games are past. Um, they even had a two-article series on playing board games at Christmas, using that time with family to to win people over, win converts over. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just a recognition that's, that these new board games exist, but they're promoting it. They're encouraging. They're trying to, to help us build the hobby. That's great. That's what's cool to see. Um, there's also a movie that came out, a documentary called uh, The Next Great American Game about game design and game marketing. I, I'm not going to do a whole review on that documentary, but okay. I think they could have chosen a better topic because it's not really about a, a, a hardcore designer creating and crafting. It's just about this guy had an idea and wanted to put it into a game and he had enough money to, to you know, it's, it's not a really good game from, from everything I've sure. read. But it's just an interesting look at what somebody does in order to put a board game together. And it gives you an inside look of the steps you have to go to to find publishers and printers and, and yeah, and this that tends to happen. You know, when there's the new thing that comes out, you know, popular media first takes a look at it and goes, "Eh, let's ignore it," and then they're like, "All right, let's make fun of it," and then, <laughs> uh, "All right, I'll, I'll make a little effort to research it," and then eventually, eventually, they accept and acknowledge it. It takes some time for sure. And there's going to be a lot of little lousy steps in between, but at least they're on the path. That's it. Um, and hopefully another documentary down the road will go a little deeper into this, but it, it is interesting. It, it's a flawed game, a flawed process, but the fact that, that somebody took the time, he went on, the, the, the movie producer went on Kickstarter to raise money for this documentary. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's an interesting uh, side point to that too. Um, but again, drawing attention to Design is our future. Everybody wants to get into design. One other thing before I forget. There's too many things I'm not even going to get to. And I promise I'm going to have links to all these things in the show notes. There's more than we can get to. But uh, there's a pilot program in New York City uh, among the schools. There are seven schools picked out for this where uh, they're trying to refashion cafeteria time and make it productive and try to avoid the clicks and the fights and the problems. (laughs) And one of the ways they're doing this is by bringing board games, specifically chess, okay. uh, into it. But other board games have been used. They, they mentioned a few other basic ones uh, that we're familiar with. But that's a start anyway. I guess. It's using that downtime. When I was a kid, cafeteria time, we played Crazy Eights. We yeah. played, uh, sometimes we played some Avalon Hill type games. Okay. You know, that was, it was how we used it. Yeah. Kids nowadays are getting away from that, but it's cool to see schools thinking, let's make it productive. Let's Sure. The cafeteria time is a good socialization. That's that's all that's what school should be about. Learning and socialization. So yeah. and like you said, Drew, positive socialization. So if they could bring a fun activity that brings different people together and think, you know, abstractly, strategically, tactically, analytically, that would be a really good idea and a good use of time. I would love for them to try something other than chess, though, because <laughs> there's that's hard to start right in. Yeah, you gotta. You, I, I understand. It's like the same reason they give Shakespeare in like junior high school. It's like it's so great. It's like yes, it is great, but sometimes 
the cannon is just too heavy and sometimes chess is just too big and you know we need to kind of bring it down a step and really first capture their attention before you hit them with things that you know grandmasters play listen um i gotta I tell you about this because we're we started binge watching the wire from the very beginning third episode of the first season you see i mean the wire shows you an inside look at how a drug organization works all the the different levels hierarchies and all that there are a couple kids in in the projects playing checkers with chess pieces uh-huh. and their lieutenant the their immediate boss comes along and and talks about what, what are you doing what are you doing you know he teaches them chess, but using the vernacular of of, of the streets, of uh-huh. the hierarchy in a drug organization. I mean, sure. without supporting this, this has nothing to do with drugs or anything. This has to do with writing, interesting writing. The mm-hmm. fact that the, the writers came up with a, a very curious analogy for teaching chess, sure. and yet it works. Kids can grasp it if you relate chess to something they're familiar with. I mean, we know that there's so many aspects from playing a game that you gain. Just take a, a simple worker placement game where you, you realize you can't do everything. <laughs> so when I do things in life and I plan activities and I decide what, what can I accomplish, I go, oh, I can't do everything. Wait a minute. This has happened to me before. I remember this. And then you do what you can. You chain what events you can. You send out people to do what they can do for you. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot to be learned from games, so that's well, good. Similar to that. Delayed gratification. Yes. Absolutely. Kids need to learn that. And that's what board games are a, a lot. Now, speaking about delayed gratification, how about our acquisition disorders, Drew? <laughs> and now, our acquisition disorders. Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. See? That's not too much, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you might need the expansion. All right. Now our acquisition disorders. So this week, I have a game for you. Now, I tend not to be a party gamer just because the games tend to be a little bit light, a little bit silly, and not really engaging. Now, you remember back when we did our party games for gamer episode, so you want to check that out because we went through some really cool games. I have a new one for you that just came out recently. It's it's not out there for purchase, but it's kind of floating around in, in a couple of copies here and there. It's called Spyfall. Now, Spyfall is a really interesting game because it's another one of these very simple party games. You'll get your players at the table. The object of the game is everyone gets a card. One player gets the spy card. And the other players get a location card. And the location card is the same for every other player. And then throughout the game, people ask questions because no one knows who the spy is. Now, everybody else is trying to figure out who the spy is. So they might say, like, let's say it's in the desert. And they'll say, yeah, what do you think about the temperature here? And if they ask it to the right person and the spy has not picked up on enough information, they might give away something that shows that they don't know where they're at and that they're the spy. So they might say, yeah, you know, it's really cold out here today. And then at the end of the round... The rest of the group could accuse that person of being a spy, and then they would score points. Now, on the other side, while everyone's asking questions, the spy can get enough information to state where they think they are and then win the game that way. 
So it's a very simple game. Everyone just gets one secret card and just asks questions. But it seems intellectual and engaging enough that it might be interesting to gamers. So for people who like Werewolf or those social deduction games similar to that, yes, it might be a nice change of pace. Yeah, and it's not that type of game where people are being eliminated, which is the problem with Werewolf. Ah, yeah, there you go. Okay, sounds like something worth trying out. We, yeah. we don't do enough party games. We don't, and for good reason. <laughs> no, 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 some of them are good. They but make if, you think. if make we you get Spyfall, we'll definitely have to play that then. It's not a ripoff of Skyfall? Well, it might be. Okay. <laughs> um, the game that I saw I want to play... Um, when it comes around, when it comes close enough for me to grab it, uh, is Roll Through the Galaxy. And it's it pretty much exactly what you think of, a combination of the mechanics in Roll Through the Ages and the theme of Race for the Galaxy. And I love mashups. Anytime yeah. you have a game that combines two things I like, okay. Uh, and now I might be upset that I didn't think of it first, but, you know, <laughs> great game. Um, I just saw the video about it um, showing how the mechanics worked. Um, I love games where you get to use dice for a whole bunch of different things. Um, gives you a lot of a new set of decisions to make, choices to make. It looks a little complex, but it's got enough of the familiarity. I, I love Race of the Galaxy. It's one of my favorite games. But it's got some twists on it, so definitely I'm going to have to relearn the game. But something I want to try. All right, that's great. So speaking about games that we want, let's talk about games that we actually had a chance to play. Let's go to At Our Table. And now, At the Table with BGA. So this week, I have a game for you. Now, I tend not to be a party gamer, just because the games tend to be a little bit light, a little bit silly, and not really engaging. Now, you remember back when we did our party games for gamer episode so yeah. you want to check yeah. that out because we went through some really cool games i have a new one for you that just came out recently it's it's not out there for purchase but it's kind of floating around in, in a couple of copies here and there it's called spyfall now spyfall is a really interesting game because it's another one of these very simple party games you'll get your players at the table the object of the game is everyone gets a card one player gets the spy card And the other players get a location card. And the location card is the same for every other player. And then throughout the game, people ask questions because no one knows who the spy is. Now, everybody else is trying to figure out who the spy is. So they might say, like, let's say it's in the desert. And they'll say, yeah, what do you think about the temperature here? And if they ask it to the right person and the spy has not picked up on enough information, they might give away something that shows that they don't know where they're at and that they're the spy. So they might say, yeah, you know, it's really cold out here today. And then at the end of the round, the rest of the group could accuse that person of being a spy and then they would score points. Now, on the other side, while everyone's asking questions, the spy can get enough information to state where they think they are and then win the game that way. So it's a very simple game. Everyone just gets one secret card and just asks questions. But it seems intellectual and engaging enough that it might be interesting to gamers. So for people who like Werewolf or those social deduction games similar to that, yes, it might be a nice change of pace. Yeah, and it's not that type of game where people are being eliminated, which is the problem with Werewolf. Ah, yeah. There you go. Okay. Sounds like something worth trying out. We, yeah. we don't do enough party games. We don't. And for good reason. 
no, no, no. Some of them are good. They but make if, you think. if we get Spyfall, we'll definitely have to play that then. It's not a ripoff of Skyfall? Well, it might be. Okay. <laughs> um, the game that I saw I want to play um, when it comes around, when it comes close enough for me to grab it, uh, is Roll Through the Galaxy. And it's it pretty much exactly what you think of, a combination of the mechanics in Roll Through the Ages and the theme of Race for the Galaxy. And I love mashups. Anytime yeah. you have a game that combines two things I like, okay. Uh, and now I might be upset that I didn't think of it first, but, you know, <laughs> great game. Um, I just saw the video about it um, showing how the mechanics worked. Um, I love games where you get to use dice for a whole bunch of different things. Um, gives you a lot of a new set of decisions to make, choices to make. It looks a little complex, but it's got enough of the familiarity. I, I love Race of the Galaxy. It's one of my favorite games. But it's got some twists on it, so definitely I'm going to have to relearn the game. But something I want to try. All right, that's great. So speaking about games that we want, let's talk about games that we actually had a chance to play. Let's go to <laughs> At Our Table. All right. Um, you know, a few years back, uh, game company Cosmos came out with a whole line of two-player games. One of the best ones, I, I played Babel. I had that for a while, played it. But uh, one of the best ones was Lost Cities. Uh, and that's a Kinesia game. That's a Kinesia game not like all the other games that he makes that are all the same. This one actually, it's it's a card game, basically, at heart. And the cards represent different stages in an exposition. So basically, you have five different expeditions you can mount. It's five different suits of five different colors, numbered from one to ten. Um, there are three special cards in each suit. Those are investment cards. They basically increase the risk and they increase the rewards. If you want to play an investment card to uh, increase the uh, the rewards, you play that at the beginning, and then you play them in progression. You play the lower cards first, and then have to build up to a higher card. Very simple gameplay. The, the trick is the discard rule, the discard mechanic. That's what really makes this exciting. You don't just throw away cards you don't want. The cards you discard are still in play in its respective colors. So you have five different discard piles that the other guy can swipe from. So you're constantly forced to make a decision between do you discard or do you play a less than optimum card on your own side? You don't know which way to go. Which can mean that you're either giving the opponent an opportunity to pick up a card that they could probably use or putting down a card that you may need in the future and you kind of gambling a little bit so there's a little bit of press your luck in that too exactly you you have an expedition that uses the the white deck or the white suit um you may have a couple cards gapped like a like a three and an eight and you want to wait for something in between <laughs> you want to try and draw cards but you never know what you're going to get. There's a there's a great random randomness to this. Yeah, it's a Ryan Nikonitsia game. And he just he just knows his games, and it's another simple, obvious game that when you play it, you're like, why didn't I think of this? This this is like it makes so much sense, and yet it does have enough tactics to it that you do you do rack your brain a little bit. You do wonder you know where where you should press down your luck a little bit, which expedition you should go on. So it's a fun game, and I I want to play this again. Yeah. Definitely. The, the risk-reward is, is a big factor of that because actually the if you have a strong suit, like if you have five or six cards in one particular suit, you want to get those investment cards in that color. Sometimes you'll wait. You'll, you'll keep drawing. You'll keep drawing and drawing and hoping to get some of those investment cards so that you can double or triple or even quadruple 
your points. How long do you wait? Because once that deck runs out, game over. True. So the clock is ticking constantly. Um, you're right. It's, there's that press your luck aspect. Press your luck, too. man. Speaking of press your luck, I had the opportunity to play Game of Thrones, the board game, the second edition. You know, when I was talking about my New Year's resolutions, just the last episode, one of them was to get these Grail games out, get these big games out. Not just the little kind of party games, not just the little micro games, but get these really massive, great games out. And I went to the 20-side store and there was this guy, Bill, and he was like, what are you playing? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm looking at a couple of games. He's like, do you want to play Game of Thrones? And I'm like, I don't know. Do we want to not be friends anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I just met you now. But yeah, all right, I'll play. And Game of Thrones, the, the, the board game, is known for ruining friendships. It's known for its like four or five hour gameplay. It's known for being very complex. If you ever look online, there's like two, three hour videos explaining the tactics and the strategy. And it was just a very daunting type of experience to sit down at this game. I'm a fan of the show. I really wanted to play the game. And Bill, myself, and another friend, Law, were sitting down. We're relatively new players. I was brand new. Law was brand new. Bill had played once before. Thankfully, we had John and Evan. They had played the game several times before. And they were nice enough to teach us. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed my time with this game. The game itself, you really have to know the show to really truly appreciate the game. You don't need to know the show in order to win the game. Just to appreciate the artwork and where you are in this world so that you can kind of understand why things are playing out the way they're playing out. There is a social aspect to this game too because what you can do is informally create alliances and then once you create these alliances you backstab them because that's what game of thrones <laughs> is all about so you know we'll we're sure we're sure we're on the same side right yeah yeah, yeah. okay i'm gonna attack you next round i'm sorry you know <laughs> had to be done i was lucky enough to have bill who was playing lannisters i was playing the Greyjoys. him and i were kind of you know, a little bit back and forth but we kind of stayed on our sides and it was an enjoyable game. John had the Stark family and he was coming down. You know, it was one of those situations where it could have went either way. And I held my own. I was really proud about that. Unfortunately, we didn't get to finish the game. I had five castles. Evan had six castles. And we just ran out of time. But it's not as complicated as it looks. It's not as backstabby as it seems. And... Honestly, I think I found the formula because if this game ends friendships, because yes, you will end up attacking your friends in this game. This was a situation where they were not friends. And by the end of the game, we we exchanged numbers and I made three new friends. So (laughs) unlike Game of Thrones, you can actually make friendships and keep them. If you you don't play with friends. (laughs) If you don't play with friends, you make them friends. friends. That's it. You make new friends. Play with strangers and it all works out. (laughs) Yeah. But the game is is definitely tense throughout the entire game. You're wondering if someone's going to attack you because you're right on top of each other. There's no space for, you know, you're trying to guess, is he going to attack me? Because if he does, I have to go defensive. But if he's not, then I really need to get you know, set up for the next round. So it really does, it does have that tense feeling that you're just not sure where the next attack is going to come from. Mm. But it was a lot of fun. The houses do play slightly differently, you know, based upon their location and their initial startup. It's it's an enjoyable game. I would like to play it again. But you have to realize just how much of a time investment this is. It's the one, a, yeah. the one time I played this, 
we had to quit before we finished the game, yeah. too. So it goes on a lot longer than you think. The one problem I find with this game, which is not in the mechanics, but is since the map is so large, you almost have to count on other people to manage other people winning. So yeah. if I'm in the north and you're in the south and you're about to win the game, I have to hope or maybe kind of like pressure other people to keep you from winning because I can't do anything to stop you. Yeah, I don't like those types of games personally because it's just like, why aren't you doing the things that you need to do to stop him? And it's just like, that's what's always frustrating. And I don't like that part of the game. So I'm going to play this again and again. We'll see how that works out. But uh, right now, a really positive review. And I, it's a play. All right. One of the game that we played, a, a, a two-player game. Uh, just You and I just played this. Uh, Ka-ching. 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 All it is basically is a deck, five suits that you arrange in a tableau, just like a solitaire game. Five columns, seven cards in each column. And you can only have access to the bottom card in each column. Each card has a price from $2 up to $6. And you take turns buying one card for your turn. Now, as soon as you have two cards in a color, you can multiply those two numbers, anywhere from 2 to 6, turn them in, and sell them for that amount of money. So if you happen to have a 3 and a 4, you sell them for $12, 3 times 4. Very simple game like that. It's it's a lot of fun for kids, multiplication. But there's a little bit of tactics involved, too, in knowing uh, which of those five cards to buy. Because each, each time you buy a card, it's going to reveal the card underneath, and that suddenly becomes available. Just to let you know, all cards are, are face up, so you know exactly what's in each column. The strategy is involved in which which column to try and pursue, which color to try to pursue. Yeah, and that's a bit of the challenge, too, because because they're random... It seems kind of funny, but a lot of times what we saw in our games is you'll have a low card, like a two, in front of a six. So, And then, then you and I kind of look and go, well, I don't want to buy the two. I want to buy the six. Why, <laughs> why won't you buy the two? So it becomes a chess match of sorts, trying to see who has to buy the lesser card so the other person can buy the higher card. And since everything is laid out in front of you, if you took the time and you had the brain, you could figure out the entire game just by looking at the startup. If you were that smart, I'm not. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have looked that far ahead. But because there is perfect knowledge, because every card is laid out there, yes. you could theoretically do that. Yeah, you have the monies. The money is available for everyone to see. The cards that you're collecting are for everyone to see. So there isn't any information that's hidden. So when you look at the, the board, you're like, oh, I go here, and then he'll go there, then I'll go there, and I'll go there. And that's pretty much it in the game. That's, that's even uh, more true toward the end of the game. Yes. There's fewer cards, and you know exactly how it's going to go down. Sure. Um, we reached a point in uh, one of the games where we knew you couldn't win. Yes. Yeah. So, And I'm always in favor of just walking away from a game if you already know the outcome. We, yeah. I don't, and it's it has that solitaire mechanic where depending how the board is set up, and if everyone does the optimal move, which is you know it's not always possible, but if everyone does the optimal move, the victor is determined from the very beginning. Yeah. Now that being said, as Drew was saying, you need to really you know you got you got to be able to plan out mathematically look at a lot of things, so it might be a little bit too much to chew on in the beginning, but. Towards, I would say, about halfway through, we knew where, where the game was going. You can map it out. Yeah, exactly. pretty simple. Um, so you had an, a good idea about that, about 
flipping those cards over face down and just showing the the bottom card in each column. Yeah, hiding some of the information might make the game a little more interesting instead of just it's already done because you see it in front of you. Yeah. Maybe hide the money. Maybe you hide the cards you purchased. So there might be a little bit more of a memory aspect. Do you remember what I bought? Do you remember how much money I have? I'm not crazy about the memory part of it because some people have better memories than others sure. and that gives them an advantage. But the, the fact that you're turning the cards over except for the bottom card, I think that would work because kids, and this is a good game for kids This to is play, a good game for kids. They don't look that far ahead anyway. Yeah. You know, they're not. And that actually would level the playing field so that an adult who could figure out the game wouldn't have any advantage over kids. If you're playing with kids, turn most of the cards over and just use the bottom ones. I, I think so. Up. If you have everything face down except for the, that front available row, when you purchase a card, you wouldn't know what the next possibility would be. So it would lend some game to this instead of yeah. just being a mathematical formula. Make it easier for kids to, to if you want to handicap it, give give the young players uh, some more money, perhaps make yeah. it easier. Because in the beginning, money management is very important. You can burn through your money very quickly before you sell the stocks to, to get any money back. Yeah, because this is just a pure formula game, unless there's a variant or unless children are playing by themselves, I'm going to dodge this even though I own it. So I might kind of pass this off to kids or I might try to build a variant to kind of play with adults. Yeah, it's a good mathematical game. Yeah. Multiplication. Another game I got to play this holiday season was Time's Up Title Recall. So it just plays exactly like the original Time's Up, but it has titles. So music titles, book titles, movie titles. So it's a little bit more understandable to a wider audience what you're talking about. So you'll get this deck of cards, like the 40 cards. You'll get the card. You'll see what the word is for the title. And then you'll be able to say whatever you want. You'll be able to act whatever you want as long as you don't say the word that's on the card. And then after that whole round ends, you'll score the points. Then the second round comes up and you'll be able to say one word. If the person gets it, because they only get one guess at this point... You'll score the points. Once that deck is completed, you'll go on to the third phase, which is just making hand gestures or body gestures or jump up, down, or dance, or whatever it is. Now, hopefully, you were smart enough (laughs) to connect the words to the gestures so by the third round, you're not completely (laughs) without any type of reference. I was kind of surprised. I don't like a lot of party games, but this was pretty interesting being that you had that one deck that passed around to the different teams. So you got to see other people's clues. It was engaging. It was fast. It was still a very light game. It wasn't very strategic, but it was one of those games that I would play again in the future. For someone who doesn't like party games, you seem to have been playing quite a few of them. Uh, It's the holidays. It's the holidays. You know, if you're going to get your families to play... Well, I played Game of Thrones, the the board game, so although there was a Red Wedding. No, 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 no let's not go into that. Now Board Gamers Anonymous looks into the future! Of 2015. Hey, Drew, you got that Magic 8-Ball somewhere? <laughs> we got to shake that up. That's going to really help us here. <laughs> we don't need no stinking 8-Ball. We, we know it's coming. The top 15. How did you come up with that number? 
I predicted that we would have just 15 of them. 15. I predict that inflation will hit the top 10 list. And <laughs> it'll take 15 to cover what used to be covered in 10. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right, Drew. So why don't you lead us off? Number 15. The most startling one that strikes me is Kickstarter. Um, it's become a part of our culture, gamer culture. But it's, it's already experienced its growth spurt. And it's been through its youth. I I predict it's going to hit middle age very soon. Okay. <laughs> and we've already seen the uh, the first evidences of it. More and more companies, uh, established companies, are getting into Kickstarter, launching new programs, new games, or they're taking pre-orders for expansions or deluxe sets or what have you. It's being taken over because uh, too many games are being brought to Kickstarter, half thought out, um, they're not shipping on time. They're creating too many frustrations. I don't think people are going to want to take chances anymore on new, small, independent designers or publishers. They want to go with the, the ones they're familiar with. Yeah. So kind of Kickstarter burnout slash yeah. corporate takeover of this fundraising crowdsourcing system. If, isn't it true? Everything that good that has come from the crowd gets taken over by industry at some point. If only there was a podcast, a brave little podcast that talked about kicking that habit, Drew. If only there was. I predict there will be. And there is. Kicking the habit. Wow. Plug. Ding. But wait a minute. (laughs) Wouldn't kicking the habit suggest that you're supposed to kick the Kickstarter habit? Yes, it's it works on so many levels. Wow, that's deep. It's deep, man. We we go right. deep here at BGA. We're not, you know, we're not fooling around. Number 14. See, I'm going to go deep here too. Now, I have no information on this, although I have felt something. There's a change in the wind, Drew. A disturbance in the force? I was going to say that, but it's copyrighted. <laughs> We know that Fantasy Flight has merged with Asmodee, and we know that Fantasy Flight owns the IP for Star Wars, and we know that the new movie is coming out this year. So it's not a grand stretch of the imagination to believe that at this coming Gen Con, about the time when Star Wars kind of hits theaters and is out there and kind of in the vibe, that Fantasy Flight releases... A brand new Star Wars game. Now, we've already seen Imperial Assault. That's been huge. That's going to continue to be huge. But we're going to see something massive from them. We're going to see something of a big scale. Armada is already out there. We know it's coming. The news is out there. So it's going to be a tactics game. There is the Descent Imperial Assault. But there's going to be something brand new different than the other two, although they will be supported, we're going to see something big. It's going to be Star Wars. It's going to be for Fantasy Flight. And it's going to be revolutionary. It's going to be just big, huge, expensive, massive. So let me get this straight. Disney is licensing its biggest IP for massive profits. That's going out on a limb? (laughs) Well, it's my number 14, Drew, so it's, it's, it's not going out that alone. But I think no. Fantasy Flight is going to release something just extraordinary. Now they have the money. Now they yeah. have the backing. It's going to be a brand new game. It's going to be big. It's not going to be a small tactical descent, descent game that's already out there. It's not going to be a flight pass system that's already out there. It's going to be something 
board game related. No. It's going to be a board game. They haven't done... I mean, the Imperial Assault is kind of board gamey, but it's a little miniature. It's a little descent. We're going to see a big board game for them. No, that's a, that's a good a good angle. I mean, the fact that Disney would be would be hitting all all fronts yes. on this. That's not that's not unusual, but focusing on the board game, that would be good. Yeah. To see, I'd like to see that. Because Archer? I'm not a big one for miniatures, sorry. Number 13. What's your next one, Drew? Mergers. Um I've been watching the whole merger thing. I don't I don't know. We'll talk about mergers in general uh, in a minute. But very specifically, I think, I predict that Barnes & Noble will merge with Toys R Us Whoa. this year. Now, hear me out. Isn't Barnes & Noble turning into Toys R Us? Pretty much. It's, yeah. So, And isn't Toys R Us on its last legs? <laughs> Pretty much. They're in a difficult spot. But I'm a Toys R Us kid. Well, Toys R Us... Is, I think they're still connected to Babies R Us, which is doing really well. Yeah, it's part of the same company. Yeah. But the Toys R Us brand is is suffering. It's stumbling. This is like what we talked about earlier. You can buy these things online cheaper and get it delivered to your house by the next day, typically. So why do you need a store for that anymore? Well, the whole idea behind Barnes & Noble has always been come into the store and look at the books and flip through them. Yes. Uh, and make a decision. They, they go for the impulse purchasing for people who show up. And it's the same thing with their children's products, too. They want pe- kids to come in, play with the toys, you know, have fun, and moms to take home all these toys. Yeah. Anthony's talked about this a lot, bringing Jack to Barnes & Noble and just it's story time, it's game time, it's yeah. toy time. They're doing what friendly local game stores have been doing, which is let's open the box, let's let people play with exactly. it. And then since there are kids there, I want it, I want it, I want it. Buy it for me now. I can't wait until tomorrow because tomorrow is a concept which I don't understand. Just give me. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, I could see that happening. So Toys R Us is being squeezed by Barnes & Noble because Amazon is pushing Barnes & Noble. That's why I don't I don't foresee Barnes & Noble going away. They're trying to find a, a plan that works and as long as they get rid of their nook which is losing them a lot of money uh it's going nowhere it's losing a market share they can stick with the books and the toys and the games and survive number 12 my prediction on on that route would be that there's going to be more board game mergers now the smaller companies so i'm even going to go further out on a limb and i'm going to say Stronghold Games, our friend Stephen Bonacore, <laughs> is going to be somehow involved, and hopefully it's on the up and up, but I think that Stronghold Games is going to be part of a merger slash takeover slash buyout, because I think with Day coming in and purchasing Days of Wonder and merging with Fantasy Flight Games, I think that the industry is now in the spotlight, people know that it makes money, and that... Everyone is going to rally around and start combining together, buying people out in order to get ahead of this. Hmm. Okay. Number 11. One thing I do think will happen, conventions are going to be on the move. There's been talk out of San Diego that Comic-Con is getting too big and wants to move. Um, I know Gen Con is getting too big for its space. And whether it stays in Indianapolis but moves to another venue or moves from Indianapolis somewhere else, that's inevitable. Because conventions are becoming huge, not just because there's more white males showing up, but there's more females, there's more families, children, um, people of all backgrounds and varieties. So there's a rainbow showing up at these conventions, and they're just not big enough. 
anymore, the venues. So somebody's going to be on the move, either Comic-Con or Gen Con. That's my prediction. Wow. Number 10. Now, on that same front, I'm going to talk about a game that's highly anticipated. We've only seen little bits of it, but Magic the Gathering, the board game. It's going to be big. (laughs) Everyone's going to buy it. And I know it's somewhat, you know, based on HeroScape. We'll see when we get more details about it. But my prediction is the reviews of that game will be meh. (laughs) It's inevitable that Eh. I think it's going to let down a lot of people. They did well with Lords of Waterdeep, but, you know, it was kind of a game that was adopted by board gamers and, you know, light Euro gamers. This is a miniature game that's going to have some serious costs involved in it, and it's going to have more characters that are related to Magic the Gathering. And I don't believe that Magic players have come out in droves to play Lords of Waterdeep. I just think that board gamers have. I don't think it's been the crossover hit like everyone has said. I just think that board gamers have liked it. I like it personally. And I think that's what happened here. I think Magic the Gathering is going to be... The board game version is going to be a step too far. People will buy it up. But I think it's just going to be okay. And I think it's going to just drop off the market. And I think this is going to be a game that you're going to see on sale at a heavy discount before the end of the year. Oh, man. Okay, very specific prediction. That's pretty good. Yep. (laughs) Number nine. Uh, I have a specific prediction. I believe that sometime before the end of the year, we are all going to be playing and talking about our analog games. Okay. So a new definition for what games? New definition, because, well, video games are uh, more and more being described as digital because you have... uh, you have because we have so many different platforms the console the pc the tablet you can't call them all video games but the word we're hearing more and more is digital so they're all digital games and whenever you have digital you're you're going to have analog it happened with watches our digital watches and we tried to come up with a name for our old watches that had the the hands and the turned around <laughs> circles they're analog yeah I'm seeing that more and more also. We're playing analog games and we're designing analog games. I like it. It's going to simplify the whole discussion. You're either playing digital or you're playing analog. Wow. And some games may combine the two at some point in the future. So I believe uh, we're all going to start getting used to that. A-N-A-L-O-G. Very simple. Six letters. Analog. Wow. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing that I've started to see too as, you know, growing up with games, video games and board games, but I guess for my generation, video games especially, Generation X, that it's so much a part of my life that I don't think of it as being something separate. Like, oh, you happen to play video games. Like, no, everyone does. Doesn't everybody? So it's going to just be a part of our normal day. Like, oh, you know, I raided the village. And I read the newspaper. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And especially that video games have been so massive, especially with the iPad games and the Facebook games that everyone's playing it. Your mom, your dad, your grandparents yeah. are playing it. Yeah, this would be the Coke versus the Pepsi. You know, which flavor do you want to play? Digital analog versus analog. Digital. Yeah. Yeah, it won't be, there won't be that division, Euro game versus Ameritrash. It'll be like, hey, let's play some analog games. One or the other. I like it, Drew. All right. Number eight. What do you got for us, Chris? Well, on that same note, I we have seen in our industry more and more apps and iPhones and devices being used in board games. It's it's technology. It's the way we should be going. And it's 
You know, you've seen this in Alchemist. You've seen this in a lot of different games. And I think for 2015, probably towards the end of the year, I think there's going to be a backlash. Really? I think I think hmm. the analog board gamers are just going to get tired of what's going to be just a gimmick. Now, I know that there are a lot of gamers out there who are trying to make this a thing. Like One Night Ultimate Werewolf, having that app is outstanding. I love that app because it, it allows everyone to play. Yeah. But I think the idea that you have to use the app so often in a game or that's a main part of the game only takes away from the game. The social aspect of it, yeah. You know, I, I, I understand like... You know, having an app is good in some circumstances because you don't want to have to print out like these massive books like, you know, Arabian Nights, right? Having everything in an app would be nice. But at the same time, what makes board gaming, analog gaming so great is the tactile feel, the social aspect, putting your phone away. And I think by the end of the year, there'll be a pushback against this. I think there'll be a little bit of a revolution in that way. Interesting. Uh, until someone could at least figure out a more subtle way of integrating... Uh... Sure, until we get in with analog. Yeah, definitely. Man. Number seven. Another trend I'm going to see in, I I think we're going to see in games, is that they're going to continue getting shorter and shorter. Maybe smaller and smaller, too. We've We've seen that with games like Love Letter and even Coup. It's just not even a full deck of cards, just a few cards. And that's it. People sitting around a table. Um I wouldn't actually call them mini games, but it's just more compact. And games have always, um, the, the optimum time for games, analog games, have been seen as 90 minutes. Sure. And I think that's going to become more and more of a rule. Mm-hmm. That that's going to be the top level of games. Okay. Because people don't want to spend two, three hours at a game that they're going to get frustrated with unless they love Battlestar Galactica. I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't mind playing a long game. <laughs> But we're going to see, I think we're going to see a shy away from that. Okay. Uh, unless you're war gamers, those war gamers, they love their eight hour games. But um, no, shorter and shorter. Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> you just watch the awards given in this coming year. Okay. And uh, use that 90 minutes. See how many games over 90 minutes win awards. Okay. So, so the games will be fitting into that time frame more and more. Yeah. Okay. And even shorter half hour games. We'll see more of those. Number six. Now, I'm going to say for the board gaming industry that we're going to see not just a trend, but I'm predicting that we're going to see designers and publishers coming out with deluxe games from the start. So I don't think we're going to see your $30, $40, $50, $60 game come out anymore. I think that in the future, what we're going to see in 2015 is when the game comes out, it's going to be... 80, 90, 100, 120 dollars. That designers and publishers have recognized the fact that board gamers are completionists, we love games, and that we're more than willing to put the money up front. They don't have to put out a $40 game and then put out a $150 game later. We're going to see high level components, high level cardboard and cards, expensive deluxe editions right from the start. And I think that's one of the ways where publishers will be able to make more profit by taking a designer's game, which is the mechanics, pay for that at a certain level, but just bring the bring such high-level components to the game that they're making a higher percentage than they normally would. So you can have your low-end version or you can have your very high-polished 
I think there's just going to be high polished versions. I think no I think end. I think in the future more and more we're going to see that we're not going to have that poor, you know, cardboard chip version and then eventually 5 years later the expensive deluxe version. I think we're just going to see the deluxe version. Cardboard and plastic, they're out. Well, if they're in <laughs> if they're in the game, they're going to be high quality version because wow. I think that's the only way they're going to be able to compete. Think about 3D printers. Now, they're still kind of on the fringe, but eventually you'll be able to print out your own miniatures for a game. So the only way that board game companies are going to be able to stay in business is by producing a higher quality product than you can print out at home. Number five. I believe that in the coming year, we are going to see women designers being nominated for awards. I don't know if we're ready yet to see awards actually being given to them, but we... We, we think that there are enough women designers out there creating good quality games. They deserve some recognition. Um, I also think that more and more women are going to be getting into the design of board games. I mean, we see, we see more and more design programs in colleges around the country, even locally, uh, NYU. So the more that these design programs are opened up to, to more people, we're going to see more women step up. We see more women playing games. So why not... You know, take the next step and these women design games. Let's see what they have to teach us. Big game for 2015 that'll be designed by a woman? Not, I wouldn't say big game, no. I, I wouldn't. The, but the fact is that there are women out there designing games. Okay. That there are women out there designing games that deserve, deserve our attention. Okay. Something. They're going to get recognition this year. Number four. So I got a prediction here, and this is. Once again, out of nowhere, but I, I, I feel it. The force is legally, distinctly <laughs> speaking to me. <laughs> it's strong in this one. It's strong in this one. I think we're going to see or either see or have announced this year a reprint of El Grande. Now, El Grande, for many of you, either is one of the best games of all time or a game you've never played and never heard of. Because the game <laughs> has been out of print. It's been a... You know, a shame for our industry. And I think this is the year that they're going to bring out a reprint of El Grande. Sadly, that's that's been like the number one prediction for a number of years now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is <laughs> the year. Not, it's not, you think it's going to happen. It's going to happen this year, Drew. Well, I will admit that it's long overdue, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> I just said it's going to happen. <laughs> then it must, okay, that means it's going to happen. <laughs> The point is, it should happen. It better happen. <laughs> it's and going to it's happen. <laughs> I just said it's going to happen in 2015. Are you not listening to the podcast? Okay, so put in your pre-orders now. You should. Send your money to who? Who owns the rights to it right now? It doesn't matter. It's going to happen. <laughs> if I have to go reprint this game myself, it'll happen. Okay, so keep listening to this podcast, and we will tell you at what point during the year that this is back in print, so you can order it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It needs to be, definitely. Definitely. Number three. One of, one of the top predictions, and sadly this isn't something that uh, I have to go out on a limb on, but board game cafes are going to continue growing. We're going to see more and more of them in this country and around the world. But the sad part of that is it's going to come, I think, at the expense of the friendly local game stores. Um. Not not all around the country. I'm noticing that game stores are still strong in smaller towns, um, in in more, I wouldn't say suburban, I, I wouldn't even say rural, but, you know, middle America, small town America. 
but in urban areas, in metropolitan areas, it's really hard for game stores to survive. And we're seeing even in New York City area, them falling off one by one. However, this is where the Board Game Cafe can step up and has been stepping up. I think we're going to see a lot more of them this year because they can offer what the local game store can offer, opening up a box and letting you play it. But they can also offer food. Um, They can bring people together uh, in different events, what have you. That seems to be a business model that's working in cities. Um, There's already one in New York City and Manhattan. There may be more throughout the city in in the coming year, year or two. So I think it's a good business model. But uh, I wouldn't abandon the friendly local game store yet because in middle America, in the small town America, it's going to keep going strong. And it's going to be a bastion of gaming in those small towns. Number two, my prediction for 2015 is a Kickstarter prediction. Now, as Drew has mentioned, he sees the somewhat end of the smaller independent game designer. But I think that for 2015, the biggest board game on Kickstarter is going to be Jamie Stegmeier's Scythe by Stonemeyer Games. Oh, so you're buying into the hype. <laughs> I'm not buying into the hype. I am I am already on the Kickstarter waiting God. for this. Jamie admits it's like this thing got away from him. He, did, he yes. did not expect this kind of... Well, all you have to say is Agricola meets Kemet, and we're like, done. <laughs> there. You know, it's, it's it's basically like chocolate in my peanut butter, peanut butter in my chocolate, worker placement in my war game, war game in my worker placement? Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> well, it's it, something else I like about that is uh, Stonemeyer Games uh, puts out some very good stuff, some high quality stuff. Um, this is their first venture, I think, into uh, uh, a non in house, a game that was designed in house, let's put it that way. This is not something that Jamie had anything to do with. But they're working with another designer to create this game and bring it to market. So it's nice to see a um, basically a company which started out self-publishing expanding and bringing more people into its stable of uh, designers. I think it has the right artwork. I think it has the right company. I think it has the right man behind the Kickstarter. I've been watching, reviewing, and talking about Kickstarter for the last six months. And nobody does it better than Jamie as as far as that's concerned. Now, there are bigger Kickstarters like Zombicide where they just throw out miniatures and people eat that up. But I think this is the year. I think the stars have aligned. (laughs) I think everything is in the right place. And I think this is going to be the game. I think this is going to blow away. You know, the percentage here is just going to be enormous. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Definitely. And now, our number one. The, uh, the, the one where I'm really going to take a chance on this, because I think... I this think is your biggest prediction for 2015, Drew. This is a big one. The fans deserve a big one, Drew. Because it's something we want to anticipate even more than the size. We really want to see this happen. Bring it, bring it, Drew. I predict... Here it comes. That there will be a... Hold on. <laughs> Stand back. That there will be a new skin for Love Letter. Bam! That's it. Drop the mic. You can count on that. Baby, take that to the bank. Really? That's it. <laughs> that. That's it. You're gonna make some money on this one. <laughs> God, you know, I, I actually, 
one of my ideas for the coming year was thinking that okay, all these like Munchkin will stop having variations and love letter that people are going to be able- no, it's going to just keep on going. There's going to be another dozen Munchkins, another dozen skins for love letter. It's just way to go out on a limb there, Drew. Why not? <laughs> why not? Next year, I'll predict the end of this trend, but for this year, now just roll with it. <laughs> just go with it. Well, there you go. Our predictions for 2015. Some brave, some bold, and then some were that were Drews. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's it for this week's episode. So be sure to keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, Board Game Geek, and especially at our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Drew. And I predict that in the year 2015, you will finally join us at the table.